Lights, action, performance. It's time to showcase yourself with us. It's the Entertainment Biz Podcast. So I'm backstage at the Eurovision, uh, the BBC's coverage of Eurovision, because I couldn't go to Rotterdam this year. I managed to catch up with uh, Scott Mills. Hello. Hello. If it makes you feel better... I didn't go either. Um, I was here in Uxbridge. Um, but um, do you know what? If we had gone, it, uh, it, it, the things that you normally associate with going to Eurovision, which is all the fun, all the parties, all the mixing with the other countries, none of that is allowed. Um, I've spoken to several people who are out there uh, covering it for TV or radio or press. And, um, I mean, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're enjoying it as much as you can, but you are not allowed to go anywhere. You literally have to stay in your hotel room. Um, you have to travel to the arena, watch or do, you know, watch the rehearsal or do your rehearsal. And it's the same for the acts. It's the same for all of the delegation. And you go straight back to your hotel room. You're not even allowed to um, hang out together in the hotel. So it's a very different contest from the ones that you've been to before with me. Um, and I think that I would rather go again when it's like it used to be, which I believe will be next year. So let's take it back then. When did it start for you, the love of Eurovision? Uh, I My earliest memory of it is watching it um, with my nan and granddad, my mum's my mum and dad. Um, I remember just, I mean, this would be 80s, watching it and thinking, this is mad. And I really just... There was nothing really like it on the TV at the time, because this is before the internet, right? So it felt a bit like you're on holiday, because it's like, oh, people, you know, speaking different language, uh, or people with an accent. Obviously, you can see that on the internet all the time now. I could, you know, I can, if I want to, put any Dutch person on talking on a YouTube video, but you couldn't then, and it felt like... Big. Uh, I mean, it's obviously much bigger now than it was then, even. But it felt like a real. I mean, as it still does now, it felt like everyone is like coming together. And um, I don't know. I just uh, was obsessed with it. I loved it, even from as a kid. And then I remember it was just happened to be on at my nan's house one year when I was staying over there. And then I said, I remember saying to my nan, can we watch this every week? Not realising that it was on once a year. And she was like, well, you have to wait till next year. And from then, I just remember watching it every single year. And um, weirdly, my favourite bit, which is still kind of... uh, Is it my favourite bit now? A bit, uh, is the voting. When they go to the countries, I'm a, I still love it. And I've been lucky enough to do that um, for the UK three times. Um, and it's the most nerve-wracking thing. I mean, I don't know how they... Uh, I don't know how the performers do it. Because literally, you're on telly for... It's about 20 seconds. And I'm not lying to you when I say... They get you there at, I think they got me there at 11 a.m. You're not on TV until 11 p.m. Because there's so much, they have to go around all the countries. And it's, as you know, it takes about an hour. It's shorter than it used to be, but it still takes a long time. And, um, and all you do is, I mean, this is it. You go wherever they are. Hello, Rotterdam, London calling. And here are the results of the UK, of the United Kingdom jury. And then all you do, they used to do all of them, all of them, which is why it took so long. But now all you do is go, our eight points go to blah, our 10 points go to blah, and our 12 points go to blah. Yeah, but you missed one vital thing out. You didn't say to the host, oh, what a lovely show. Oh, no, you do have to say that. Do you have to say that? You have to say that. It's in the script. 
Um, so you, when you're watching it, for, before you do it, you're like, why is everyone saying what a great show it was? Because sometimes it's not that great. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, that, that's quite a new thing, actually, but over the last maybe five, ten years. But so, yeah, it's hello, Rotterdam, London calling. And can we just thank you for a wonderful show tonight. Here are the results of the UK jury. And I always you... find that a little bit cringy, though. What? When they go, oh, you look lovely. Thank you for putting on a fabulous show. Oh, no, I love it. It's part of the... Oh, I love it. It's my favourite. Also, right, imagine I've been watching this, like, since I was seven, right? Imagine being the person that sits in front of Big Ben. Not really, it's green screen, guys. Sorry. Or the London Eye. And imagine being the person that gets to go... Good evening, Europe. This is London calling. I literally... It's life goals. It, right, for me, when I was a kid, my goals were... Radio 1, done that. Weirdly, being on Blue Peter, done that. Oh, OK. Um, Didn't know that one about you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Eurovision. Doing the results on Eurovision. I've uh, done all those. Amazing. I, honestly, but it, like I said, it's the most terrifying 20 seconds because you know that 200 million people are watching I was that. say how many people watching 200 million. And also, not only that, but uh, you have to try and ignore it. But there is a massive delay. Um, so I remember, the, I think the last one I did was we did the semi finals in Copenhagen. That was your first one you came to with me. And then I flew back and then I did the results on the main show oh, yeah. on the Saturday yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. And it's still on YouTube. For some reason, I'm, I'm dressed like a Magnum ice cream. I don't know why. I... Did you choose that or are they telling you? No, no, I, I think it was a stylist that chose it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that looks good. But I look like a white Magnum. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a different time. But I look like a Magnum at white. Uh, white chocolate magnum. And then, um, the, see, because you hear it in your ear and they tell you to ignore it, but it's, you can't. So they go, uh, and now we, let's go over to Scott Mills in London. Hello, Scott. Can we have your points, please? But then, there's a, as you know, there's a massive delay. And then <laughs> what they have to do also, you have to wait for them to do it in French. So you, uh, but then because there's a delay... It feels like it's forever. So, um, so let me do it now. Okay, it goes. Um, <laughs> our eight point. So this is me on Eurovision. Our eight points go to Serbia, and you're just looking at the camera like, are they going to say it? And they'll go, huit point, Serbie, and then you go again. Our ten points go to Albania. But then because they've got a delay as well, you're looking into the camera and keep smiling and smiling <laughs> and smiling. You're like, are they going to say it? And eventually you hear, Albany, this point. And then, like, you know, okay, they've said it now, good. And our 12 points go to Spain. And you're like, literally, I can't, like, you're smiling for what feels like forever and then at the end they always tell you because you don't know when you're off camera that so once you've delivered your 12 points then you need to shut up a lot of countries don't there's like there's always some idiot that like sings it or whatever don't do that they tell you not to, they actually tell you not to do that as well but mm -hmm. then some people are just like well, i'm gonna do it um once you've done your last points our 12 points go to spain then you just shut up and smile but you're smiling for ages because you don't know if you're off the telly or not. Because sometimes they use like a shot of you on the screen. So you're just literally smiling and smiling and keep smiling and keep smiling. And then eventually someone shouts, and we're clear, and you're off. Literally 20 seconds. Terrifying. How do they decide in which order to do the results then? Do you know? Uh, which, uh, which countries to go to? Yeah. I actually don't know that. Do you know what I think? Uh, see, I th see, I th I thought before 
that it was in the order of... Uh, Formers? No, but it's not. I don't, I don't... That's actually a really good point, which I don't know the answer to. <laughs> but no, when I, actually, no, because when I did it, I think the UK was, like, first or second, and it took about an hour for them to come to me. So about, maybe, I don't know. But, I, but maybe it is now, I don't know. But I don't know, maybe it's just at random, or maybe they do it like they do most things at Eurovision, by drawing it out of a hat. So once you did it, uh, say you did it first or second, can you go straight away after? Ah, yeah, you're done. You're all done. Yeah, yeah, you can go. Um, but literally, this is true. So I, it, it, when I did it, I did it twice at the old BBC Television Centre, mm-hmm. and I did it at um, the Elstree Studios. Now Elstree, um, they make Strictly there, mm-hmm. and they used to do Dancing on Ice there, and famously the Big Brother House. All of those shows come from there. Um, and so I did it at Elstree. That's when Big Brother was massive as well, because I remember the same night I did it at Elstree was eviction night on Big Brother, so you could hear everyone cheering outside. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and I think it was quite hot. So we had the window open. We were literally in... Also, it, like, because it doesn't matter what room you're in, because you're in... It's a green screen, right? Yeah. So they put you in front of, like, Big Bed or something that looks like London. Um, the London Eye. Or, uh, like, one of the bridges in, on the Thames. Now, Matt, who you've met, the cameraman, who comes with us normally in a normal year when we go to Eurovision, Matt... And I don't know why they don't use the same footage, because... They always look the same. Matt actually has to go uh, maybe two or three weeks before the contest and literally film Big Ben for about four hours. Really? I didn't know this. Yeah. Or, you know, like a landmark, like one of the bridges. Because I remember I've done it in front of the London Eye, which obviously goes round. Yeah. Big Ben... They don't like to use sti- they don't like to use a photo now. That it's video has to be a moving. Yeah, moving. because then you can see cars and blah blah blah. There used to be a photo, and then it's like you could tell like they're definitely not there. Um, but then I remember also I think it was like Waterloo Bridge or London Bridge one year with all the cars and buses going on. So yeah, Matt, that's Matt just goes down there <laughs> and spends a whole evening filming that <laughs> for twenty seconds on the telly. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah, so we did it at Elstree. And I remember they got me there at 11 a.m. And I'm like, that'd be funny, what, like, it's not until, I'm not going to be on until 11 p.m. Mm. So I was like, I mean, I did this one, I did Strictly as well. I was like, can I just go down to, because you got right where Elstree Studio is, right next door there's a massive, really good Tesco. Massive. <laughs> right. And that's the Tesco where, back in the day, when Big Brother was massive, they used to go to the Tesco car park and shout things over the wall at the contestants. That's that Tesco. Okay. Lovely Tesco, two floors, you know. Lovely. And um, there's a Tesco, and there's a kind of average high street with a few shops on it, like high street, you know. So I remember going to them. 11am, I get there, and I'm like, do you reckon I could just, not until tonight, do you reckon I can pop out for lunch? And they're like, no. Well, what, not just to Elstree High Street? It's literally, no, like, we might not, we, don't, we won't know where you are. And I'm like, literally, it's a <laughs> five-minute walk. <laughs> now, and you're also, as a reminder, you are on for 20 seconds, OK? <laughs> but the thing, I don't know why, but they were like, oh, you might get lost. I'm like, hmm. Probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like an actual adult. But I can see, I guess, why. And also, I know, like, you're like, well, why are you there 12 hours before? I mean, it's a long day of actually doing nothing. But um, the reason they get you, I mean, 11 is a bit mad, but they do have a full rehearsal of the show, which you have to be there for to test it. So I think that's about one or, or two UK time. Yeah. And then you have to watch the whole thing uh, and you have to wait. I mean, because when I did it, it seemed every time I did it, it was like we were one of the last countries they came to. 
So you are literally sat there through all of the voting waiting for your turn. And you don't have to rehearse that, obviously, because cause they want to check that the line works. But you hear some amazing things in your ear, because you have like a little earpiece. And um, you hear some amazing things, because in the rehearsal... I mean, I'm amazed it comes together on the night, because in the rehearsal you hear things like this. And now let's go to... I'm just making this up, by the way, that like this didn't happen, but let's say it was um, Poland. And now let's go to Poland... And literally, there won't be anyone there. And, or Because they've gone down the high street. Yeah. Or <laughs> they haven't turned the camera on. Or there's no sound. There was one time, I don't... I'm, let's not say... I mean, let's just say it was Poland for argument's sake. It wasn't Poland. But I heard them go, Poland, you need to um, uh, face the camera towards the presenter. And I was like, wow. Like, how does this even get on air on the night? But it does. Um... But that's part of the chaos that I really enjoy. And if you watch, which I sometimes do, watch really old Eurovisions, even from like, I mean, the 70s are the best ones and the 80s. Obviously, pre-internet, it's incredible because it's such a mess and I love it. It's, you know, it's like people, loads of people are like holding their earpiece and, like, and then they can't hear them and then the line goes down. I mean, if you look, if you watch the ones from like back in the day, normally hosted by like Katie Boyle or whatever, um, it's on the telephone and it's like, hello Luxembourg! And it's hilarious. I think actually uh, when ABBA won, when Waterloo, that was in Brighton. Yeah. Um, and that's a funny one because they're all just on the phone and it's just like literally so old-fashioned. I love it. No, and looking at the results as it is now, obviously, because it's changed, hasn't it, in recent years, are mm. you impressed with how it operates now? With the voting? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's much better. The thing is, in the uh, they see, they changed it maybe four, four, three, four, five years ago. And... As, as I've just said, the voting sequence used to be a lot, lot longer than it is. Um, if you watch the old ones back, they're literally having a chat for ages. It's like, hello, Sweden. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm all right. How are you? Thanks. Oh, yeah, I'm great. Thanks. It's like, get on with it. There's so many to get through. Anyway, so now it's literally you're on and you're off. But it still takes ages, right? But in the old thing... The old way of showing it, bearing in mind, the viewer, average viewer who probably is, is not a massive Eurovision fan, is just watching it on a Saturday night because it's a bit of a laugh or, you know, a bit of something to watch. You're sat through pretty much an hour of going over to these countries. Can we have your results, please? Can we have your results, please? And really early on, if in most years, you knew who was going to win. So let's say Russia had a great song, right? So, like, th three countries go, and our 12 points go to Russia. And you're like, well, that's it. Suspense is over. And you've still got another hour of people going, and our 12 points go to Russia. And you're like, well, they've won. And it's actually boring for the viewer. So this, the way they do it now is actually stolen, uh, borrowed from the program in Sweden called Melody Festivalen. Oh, OK, I didn't know that. And um, if you don't know Melody Festival, uh, because Sweden literally loves Eurovision so much, they have their own little mini Eurovision before the actual Eurovision every January and February. So it's so famous in Sweden. 88% of the population watch it. 80%. Everybody watches Melody Festival. And it's done in, in normal times in an, arena, in an arena. And it's a different arena in Sweden every week. So one week it'll be Malmö, next week it'll be Stockholm, next week it'll be blah, blah. And it, it's, I want to say it's six weeks, sometimes eight, I think. And it's a bit like um, X Factor, uh, where everyone sings and then people get knocked out. Like Eurovision. But... Melody Festivalen is an eight-week TV show just to find who is going to represent Sweden in the Eurovision Song Contest. And if you've ever been to Sweden in 
January and February, it's bleak. It never, it doesn't get light. In the summer, it's always daylight. In the winter, from like October onwards through Mar- maybe November through to March ish, it's always dark. There's nothing fun about that, and that is why most people have watched it. And it can be its kids and its families and its oh, everyone knows what Melody Festivalen is in Sweden. It's in their blood, and that's why they're so good at Eurovision because. Everyone watches it, like everybody. And it's also, you know, like here, like if you're cool, you'd be like, I don't watch Eurovision, it's really, on, it's really naff. They don't have that in Sweden because chances are when you were with your mum or staying around your grand's house, you watched it and you loved it and your grand loved it. So there's no, in Sweden, there is none of that Oh, it's really naff and cheesy. They don't have that. And if you ever go to Eurovision in Sweden, you see, like, goth kids. You see, like, really cool kids. And there is absolutely no shame in it. They love it so much. And there's no shame in it. And that's what we should be like. But we won't be. But, yeah. So, that, so um, that, that's how they choose their, their act. Um, and it goes, like I said, it goes on for weeks. And it's on every Saturday night in January and February in, um, in Sweden. That's why they're good at it. Now, looking back to the 10 years that you've been doing um, Eurovision, any highlights in your favourites? Oh, there's so many. Um, if you had to point out a year? Oh, um, uh, my favourite place or yeah. where, well, you know. my favourite contest. Oh. <laughs> it's, or diff- both. it's difficult, isn't it? I think, and I was saying this to you... Because we both enjoyed Sweden. See, I love when it's in Sweden for all of the reasons I just mentioned. Because they love it so much that they put on such a good show and they spend so much money. And then the thing is, when Sweden put on a show when they win... Then you go to, let's say, Lisbon, maybe, the year after, and you're like, oh, the show isn't as good. They put everything into it. And they, as I said, love it. So for that reason, and also, I had never been to Sweden before working at Eurovision. And as a result, I've been back several times because I think it's such a lovely place i think the people are cool i think they're funny it's like a really nice place it's a really expensive place but it's a really nice place to be so i always enjoy sweden which i've been twice for eurovision because like i said they're good at it they always win a lot um not this year but they win a lot um but then i also like the ones that are bit weird um because ukraine was quite weird wasn't it y- yeah but i love that <laughs> because in sweden what do you like about the weirdness oh then? because like <laughs> officially i'm there working okay when am i ever gonna go to ukraine really is it on my list of holiday destinations not really but i actually thought kiev was a beautiful city um but the randomness of the, the, let's say, not obvious locations, I absolutely love. Stockholm is brilliant. Copenhagen, we've also been brilliant. Lisbon, beautiful. But then I, I do like those a lot, but you know what you're going to get, okay? Yeah. Everything's going to be straightforward. Turn up in Kiev... Your phone doesn't work because your network doesn't stretch that far. Uh, you go and try and buy some milk, which I did. It's all in Ukrainian. And they don't sell milk in, like, cartons that you can see. So I had no idea. Then, at the time I smoked, I asked for some Marlboro Gold cigarettes. They had never heard of this. They don't have them. So... I'm going to this shop and they, my phone wasn't working and everyone from Eurovision was trying to get hold of me 
we were told not to use WhatsApp because <laughs> people might be spying on us. And I was sold some Russian cigarettes, uh, and that was all they had. And I was like, wow, this isn't Europe. <laughs> it is. But I just felt like this is weird and random. I don't, don't you remember we went to dinner one night, and there was a child security guard. Oh, yes. Why was, why was that? In a full suit. He's about nine. But like, I'm not, he didn't just look like a child. It was a child. He was about nine. In no a one, suit. There was no one else in the restaurant, if I remember right. No. no. So why was this a security guard? Also, um, I think I can say this, it's fine. When we were filming with the pop star, Kamalia, who's very famous in Ukraine. Yeah. When, she's married to a Russian billionaire. So we, I kind of knew them because they'd been on my Radio 1 show. They were on a show in the UK <laughs> called Meet the Russians. So that's how I knew them. And I knew of them, Kamalia and Zahor. They're actually lovely, lovely people. I still speak to them now. Um, but we went to the house, which is bonkers, because they're billionaires. Ate caviar, all that, prepared by a lot of their staff. And then... Um, we, went, we, we, we took Kamalia out filming for the day and I remember being in a park in Kiev and um, she had a security guard with her because was really famous. I mean, she said she was famous. Uh, I think a couple of people did recognise her. I hope she's not listening to this. I was hoping that more people would recognise her, but they didn't. <laughs> but she kept telling me how famous she was in Ukraine. I was like, OK, because how am I supposed to know? Anyway, so... Is that the one when we went around the model village? Yeah. 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 Right. Already <laughs> weird, right? What a weird situation. <laughs> we went around a model village with a Ukrainian... With a uh, Ukrainian pop star. And the party bus. There was also a party bus, <laughs> which said party bus on it. I don't know why. What why was, was there a bus? I don't know. Why was there a party? But what was the, what was that? What was the purpose of the party? I don't know. I think just for our filming. It wasn't used for anything else. We hired a bus. You can still see this on YouTube. And you're dancing in the background. I am. Why was there a bus? Because it's Eurovision. It doesn't need to be a reason. I've still got pictures on my phone of me with a like a bus conductor's hat on for the party bus. Did what you, the hell? No, you didn't. Oh, no, I was, I was thinking you. Drove it somewhere, no. No, no, we were just on it. And Kamali was in it and she was singing to her own songs. <laughs> anyway, I remember <laughs> we were filming with her in the model village. It took so long. It was boiling hot, if you remember. And um, all day I was looking at her security guard going, it really looks like a gun in his pocket. And all day I'm like wanting to ask him. Or, and I'm like, is that his wallet? It's, nah, it's too big to be as wallet. So by the end of the day, we finished filming, and I was excuse me, because I kind of got to know him a bit yeah, by we then. got to know him, didn't we? Mm. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me, can, can I ask, is that a gun he wanted? What, this? And pulled out an actual gun, and I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> so you don't get that in Stockholm. Um, and that's why I kind of love the weird ones. Where... Have I ever been to Eurovision before where there's tanks on the street? No, I haven't. There was in Ukraine. Is that where there were all the security around the arena? Yeah. 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 Um, I also, one of the, f maybe it was the second one I did. I was talking to Sarah Cox about this last week because she did the semifinals with me this year. Um, one of my other favourites was uh, Baku, Azerbaijan. Um, for the same kind of reason. I mean, it was a long time ago now, but I just remember thinking, wow. I just remember going there and thinking, wow, I've never been anywhere like this. Like, culturally, uh, I was just... It was like going on holiday to a place that you wouldn't necessarily choose, but you're getting to experience the food and the culture and the people, and you're, you know, it's, you're doing a, your job. And that's a, what a great job to have. And I, all I remember in Baku, Azerbaijan, was all the local Azeri kids were obsessed with Jedwood. 
they all knew who they were, and I don't know how because they didn't have X Factor in... Well, they do have X Factor in Azerbaijan, but not our one. So how do they know Jeb Wood? So this is when Jed Wood first entered Eurovision, which was with lipstick, right? Yeah. And I remember me and Sarah Cox on... You know them horses at the fun fair that go round and, and bump, bob up and yes. down? I was on one of them with one of Jed Wood. And Sarah was on another one of the horses with another one do, of Jed Wood. of course. Yeah. In Azerbaijan, <laughs> with all these kids going... Ah! And because we were like, how do they know who they are? Because I don't know how they know. I still don't know. Because that show did... This is kind of... It wasn't before the internet. But maybe they did know them from, like, YouTube. Because they did, didn't know them from X Factor. But it's, this does happen in some other parts of the world. Like, I remember... Going to... Years ago. Going to... Well, twice this has happened. Going to Thailand, and my best one of my best mates, Fraser. I went with him, and this is the time of around Gareth Gates, and because he was Western and little and white, they were like <gasps> Gareth Gates, Gareth Gates. All the Thai girls were like, and they were all pointing him like, oh, you know, like all their mamas were pointing, going, oh, future husband, and but they were all like Gareth, Gareth, Gareth. They never watched Pop Idol, so how do they know? It also happened in, this is weird, South Africa, right? Or was it? Uh, yeah, South Africa. And also in Kenya, I went to do a, de a, a desert trek for Comet Relief. So it was me, Lorraine Kelly, Dermot O'Leary, Ollie Murs, just doing some walking in the heat for a week, for, raised like a million for Comet Relief. Did you enjoy it? Uh, no, but that was it, that was when they made celebrities do really hard things. Right, it wasn't as hard as doing like Mount Kilimanjaro or like when they when David Wallem swam the channel. We just had to walk really far. Uh, it was hard, yeah. It was just hot and horrible, and we had to do. It was a lot, yeah. Um, it doesn't sound a lot. It's like oh, you went on a walk. <laughs> it was a long way. Anyway, and then I remember one day we'd, or maybe it was the end of the track. We finished. And uh, the local, as a local guy, a local Kenyan guy, and he was playing an album by Shane Ward. And I'm like, how do you know this guy? Like, he's one of the biggest artists here in Kenya. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, what? Shane Ward? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, he's massive here. And the, this guy, the Kenyan guy, was like, if you could bring me Shane, if Shane Ward was on this desert trip now, I would be so impressed. He's like, the two people I really want to meet are, this is true. He's like, uh, so he was like, are you all celebrities in, in uh, London? And we were like, yeah, kind of, yeah. He's like, the two celebrities I want to meet, Shane Ward and Mr. Bean. <laughs> Mr. Bean? <laughs> Do you not know how obsessed they are with Mr. Bean abroad? <laughs> they are, uh, because he doesn't talk. No. So it's, it's literally on in every country. I went to a Chinese airport once, Mr Bean was on, and they were in hysterics. They love it. Mr Bean, really popular in Kenya. <laughs> and he was like, I'd be so impressed if you could bring Mr Bean here. But also Shane Ward. Now, Shane Ward was the winner of X Factor, like 2010. They didn't have X Factor there, so how do they know him? They'd, he was a really popular artist there. Mad. You don't. You never know why people are famous, and sometimes they're famous there, but they like they don't see Shane Ward win X Factor. They just like him, but they don't know the story. Like, how did people in Azerbaijan know Jedward? But they did, and it wasn't for X Factor. You've been on some great adventures in your time, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I've done some mad stuff, but that's fun. <laughs> I don't like it to be boring. <laughs> uh, and it isn't. Gen Your life I'm, is never boring. Uh, the last year has been a bit boring, but it's been boring for everyone. Mm. Uh, it's. I mean, I've been lucky enough to work every day, and I, I'm so thankful for that because many people weren't. Many people lost their jobs. Many people, you know, got really uh, fed up of being at home, and it affected a lot of people's mental health. Uh, and I know people that, you know, really suffered. I got to still go to work every day. 
and do the job that I love doing, and I'm thankful and blessed for that. Um, but even for me, all the other stuff that I do, like some of the stuff I just mentioned, all of, of course, everything stopped. So it was literally just the radio show. All the mad stuff didn't but that's happen. your love anyway, isn't it? It is. But you know, like normally, because you've known me so long, the radio is the constant. It's there every day. But then there's all, it's all the mad other stuff that happens around it. And, of course, for everybody, I mean, I was lucky to work. But as it would do in a pandemic, all of the other stuff stopped. Um, and I moved house and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I quite liked it for a while because it wasn't as busy as it can be. But, but I'm ready now to, you know, I think we all are, to uh, get back to it again, you know. So finally, before we go, what are your plans in six month, next six months? The next six months... What can we look forward to? I will be... What will I be doing in the next six months? Well, do you know what I'm quite looking forward to? I'm doing... Uh, I mean, there's one week quite soon where I'm in a week on Radio 1, 2 and 5 Live in fact this week but then again in a couple of weeks so today, when we're recording this now I've been on Radio 1 today tomorrow I'm on Radio 2 and 5 Live but then coming up I've got a whole week of that because I'm doing Ken Bruce's show um, so I'm quite looking forward to that something a bit different mad that I'm on three stations though mad like if you told me that when you like Oh, when I was a kid, like, oh yeah, you're gonna be on Radio One. Oh, and two, and five live at the same time. I'd be like, well, no one does that because they don't really think about it. Now, you did mention something to me the other day. You've uh, you've uh, acquired a dog, haven't you? I've acquired a dog. I've, I've got a dog. Already, a little puppy yes. dog, which isn't with us today. Yeah, he's he's on a, he's on a day trip. But um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Teddy. <laughs> he's a, he's a mischief, but I love him, and I'm actually missing him. Um, today um, yeah it's a lot of uh, well I'm never going to have children so this is like my nearest thing so it's a lot of responsibility but it's great I love it and I, like I've always been quite good with animals I've never had any pets though um, and Sam my boyfriend really wanted to get one a dog and um, we've been talking about it for ages now until quite recently I lived not central London, but I lived in quite a built-up area of London, and I didn't think it would be fair. So I said, let's wait until we move, which took longer than we thought, obviously, because of everything, of everything that's been going on. So we managed to move in end of July last year, 2020, and then we thought, oh, you know... I don't know why. I think we, 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 we said, let's wait till we're settled in a bit, and we'll wait till after Christmas, and then get a dog because we wanted to, like, settle in a bit first. And then we got Ted on... in January. Uh, yeah, uh, end of January we got him. Which has inspired you to do a podcast. Yeah, I've got a podcast coming out called Pup Dates, <laughs> which is me and a dog trainer who's amazing. He doesn't like being called a dog trainer. He is a dog... He's a dog expert, and his name is Steve Mann. And he has written the best-selling puppy training books in the UK. And they're translated into every language. These books are massive. Like, they're translated into Arabic and Swedish and all over the world. <clears throat> um, and he... I, I got put in touch... When, when, when I put on Instagram that I got a dog, someone got in touch with me and said, oh, you should speak to Steve Mann. And, I, we, and then I, it was peak lockdown and Teddy was playing up. And I was like, I just messaged him on Instagram and I was like, do you do puppy training on Zoom? And he was like, yeah, okay, cool. And I was like, obviously I'll pay you. And he's like, oh no, I don't want to pay. And it was just nice of him. So literally, I'm literally got my iPad over there. My dog, literally where we're sat now, and me. And the, this is peak COVID. And the puppy trainer's on Zoom going, Teddy, 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 on Zoom. <laughs> um, like everything was, is, was. Um, and I thought, this guy's great. And, I, and then I suddenly thought, 
Because apparently, um, I think something it's a mad number, like two million people have got a pop puppy in lockdown. All right. And I remember we had to go and get him from Manchester, like Stockport, Manchester area, quite a long drive from here. And um, I remember thinking on the way there, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, Sam's had a family dog before, so he kind of knows what he, knew what he was letting himself in for, but I did not, and I had no idea what to do. And I was actually just searching on my phone, because Sam was driving. I was searching on my phone for, like, puppy podcasts, you know, what to do if you just got a brand new dog. I, I found some good dog podcasts. There are some great ones out there. But I don't find one for people that have just got a dog, like puppies. Because you, it's, it's like having a child. You don't know, I don't know what to do. Why is he weed on that? Why is he crying all night? Why does he howl every time I leave him alone? And I was like, there are loads of dog podcasts, but it's about dogs in general. Or there's some where it's just like, Walking the dog with Roger. But, but then it's not really about dogs. It's about they just have a chat, but they happen to be walking the dog. So I'm like, well, that's not what I want. So I was like, well, there's no... If I could listen, or back then, I thought to myself, if I could listen to a 10-minute podcast about why is my dog chewing everything, I would 100% want that in my life right now. So that's what I've done. <laughs> Fantastic. When does it come out? It should be uh, out uh, beginning of... June. Yeah. That's, that's the plan. Fantastic. But we've done 10, and we're right. about to do 10 more. Oh, OK. So, and also, like, because of, um, like, the, the information doesn't change, you know, so, like, once they're released, they'll did be there forever. Did you enjoy doing it, though? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I learn a lot. Um, and if you get it, you will, if, you've, if you have a new dog, and a lot of people have, I found out some fascinating things that I just didn't know. Like... Anything you remember? Yeah, like... Uh, I remember... I took Teddy, my dog, to doggy daycare once, and he absolutely hated it. Hated it. And I didn't like it because um, it was in a farm not too far from where I live... And I made the mistake of saying yes to this because the girls were like, oh, it's Scott Mills. And they were like, do you want to come and see where all the puppies are and what we do? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I went through there, but I shouldn't have done that. I should have gave Ted to them and gone. But I went through there and then, of course, I had to leave and he was crying and he was shaking. And he, there's like a fence, obviously, to keep them in. And all I remember is him up at the fence going, oh, 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 oh. and I was like, oh, I hate this. And I had to leave. And he was crying and he didn't want me to go. And it made me really sad. Um, <laughs> then I went to work. Sam picked him up, my boyfriend. And I was like, how was he? He was like, yeah, he didn't like it. And then I thought to myself, oh, my God, when I come home from work, he's going to be fuming at me, like, because he hated it there. Like, he did. And I left him there. I'm like, he's going to be fuming at me. Like, you know, like when you're in a sulk. Mm -hmm. They don't remember. <laughs> I literally came in, he was licking me. Like, I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> and I asked the dog trainer this, and I was like, why? I thought he'd be angry. And he was like, they don't hold, dogs don't hold grudge. They just don't. They don't have that thing. So, like, if you... I mean, obviously, you know, you shouldn't mistreat your dog. But I just think... I remember thinking, oh, my God, he hated that. He was unhappy all day, apparently. Like, his tail wasn't wagging, which is not a good sign. Comes home, forgets it ever happened. <laughs> so what do you finally like about him, then? What do I like about him? Yeah. Um, I love... I just think you can't help but love them. It's... It's weird, right? Because you're like, you go and pick it up from someone's house. You're actually stealing the dog away from his mum and his brothers or sisters, which is a weird thing. And you're t this is what I find odd about it. You're taking them away from their family and introducing them to a whole new life. They don't know who you are, but that's what happens to every dog. You know, you go get it from a, I should say as well, get it from a good breeder. You go there, you go, hello, take a dog away. You're taking it away from its family. 
So what they tell you to do, which I didn't know, is um, they a good breeder should do this. They give you like a uh, a towel or a blanket, which has got the smell of his mum on. Okay. And because what they get, and Ted had this when we picked him up, they get separation anxiety. Imagine, right, like if um, you're there with your mum, you've literally just been born, some man comes and takes you away. What the hell's going on? Yeah. And they get, like, really cryy. But... If they, if you have the blanket which smells of the mum, it really comforts them. So what we did, we always, well, he's never left, but we put, he sleeps in our room in a pen, uh, and then sometimes gets on our bed now because they don't. He's a cavapoo; they don't shed. He's not like it's not like hairs everywhere. Um, but in the first at least week or two. If they start crying, you just give them the blanket and they can smell the mum on there. But then they forget. <laughs> and then, So I was just like, oh my God, he's going to hate me. Didn't care. Literally got licks all night. And jumping up at me. But yeah, they don't hold a grudge. There's nothing not to like about him. I mean, it's annoying sometimes because he gets literally nicks everything, chews everything. But he's so adorable. And we've only had him four months, five months, but I can't imagine him not being here now. And when he isn't here, like right now, it's really weird. Normally, because I'm like, Teddy! Um, and he's normally out there, like, nicking one of my socks. But you do get really used to them being around. Mm. And I've never had an animal before. I've never had a dog, but I'm, I love it. And my mum always said to me, she always said to me, oh, you're good with... Babe, you're good with kids and animals. And I always remember my mum saying that to me, and I don't know why. I think she'd obviously... I'm, children are quite drawn to me, and I don't know why it's because I probably make funny faces at them or they think I'm funny. Like my goddaughter, Evie, who is my friend Fraser's daughter. Um, so I'm her godfather. And it's the same with my niece as well, my brother's um, daughter. They both call me silly Uncle Scott because I think they, they, I don't know, I come across as quite like, stu like not stupid, but fun and silly to kids. And I normally will make like stupid faces to them and I don't talk down to them. And this is, it's weird actually, my producer says this to me as well, my Five Live producer, because we have a kids part, a section of uh, the Five Live program is kids. And he's like, you talk to them like that adults. You know, because some people, they speak to kids like, hello, how are you? Don't, because they're children. It's a bit patronising, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but what the trick is, talk to them like they're an adult. Obviously, you don't swear, but if you, hear the sh if you hear the Five Live show on Saturday morning with me and Chris... Uh, they're, not, they're normally like, it's a, it's a feature called Kids Review Their Parents Record Collection, and they'll... You know, they'll review a CD that's not even that old, like 20 years old, but they think it's really old because they're nine. So, like, we had um, we had a kid on, like, reviewing Madonna the other, <laughs> the other week. Hated it. Uh, and I was like, yeah, but talk to them like they're an adult. Like, what, you know, don't be like, hello, how are you? Are you okay? Just because they're a kid. And I think that's what my mum means. And my producer says the same. He's like, you're really good with kids because you don't talk down to them. You just talk to them like a normal person. And they respond. Mm. Um, and you can also have a bit of a laugh with them. You're not, and, like, it's a fine line because, obviously, uh, you don't really laughing at children when they're nine. It's quite up nasty. <laughs> but if you laugh along with them... That's the difficult bit. Not difficult, but that's the line. It's not, you, you know, you don't want to, especially to a nine-year-old, you don't want to be like, ah, you're stupid, because that will <laughs> live with them for the rest of their life. <laughs> but you can, I wouldn't say take the mick, but you can have a laugh with them in a way that it's not offensive to them. And it's quite a fine line, but you can do it. It's like every time there's a running joke on the show now when they on this five live show, I'll be like, "Hello, Claire." Like, let's say no nine year old's called Claire now. Hello, Chloe. 
uh, how old are you? I'm nine. And I always go, congratulations. Things like that. Now, they don't know that that's stupid. They just think, oh, that's nice. But to an adult, it's funny. Do you know what I mean? It works on both levels. But you can have fun with kids. And you mustn't, like, I think that you see it all the time on TV. And you hear it on the radio as well, don't you? <laughs> I hate it. Talk, they're just young. They're young. And sometimes they're really young. And sometimes they might not understand what you're saying. But don't speak to them. I was going to say, don't speak to them like they're a child. They are a child. But do you know what I mean? Just get on their level. And I think that's what my mum meant. I think that's why you've lasted on the radio so long. Because you've got a way of doing it. Yeah. You adapt to any audience, you adapt to anyone. I think so. My, my brother said that as well. And a lot of producers. It's like, yeah, there is like a chameleon side where it's like... If you wanted me to do a country music show now, I could. Do you know what I mean? Probably wouldn't be very good. But I could. It's like... You know, one week I'll do a chart show on Radio 1, and the next week I'll do a week of doing Ken Bruce's show, and I can do that. So, yeah, uh, I believe it's called Versatile. Yeah, but you've done, you've done that recently, haven't you? Because, like, you've just done Eurovision, and then mm. straight away on the Friday you were, at, yeah. you, were doing the, you were doing the chart. Yeah, and it was weird because there's, like, this, there's this new song out, which is number two, by the way, by Olivia Rodrigo off of Driver's Licence. Now... I'm not going to lie, I've never heard that song in my life because I've been in, my head has been in Eurovision all week. So I got the, I always get the chart a bit earlier than when it goes out, obviously. And I looked at it today and I'm like, that's a, this must be a mistake. That's not the new, there isn't a new Olivia Rodrigo song. There is. I just haven't heard it because I've been listening to songs from Azerbaijan all week. <laughs> it's weird going back to real life after Eurovision. But yeah, good. For, it's called Good For You and Good For Her. It's number two. Literally didn't even know about it. I've never heard of it in my life. Because <laughs> as I said, I've been too busy listening to Malta. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's been lovely to catch up with you. Thank you very much good indeed for spend, thanks. spending so much time with us. I know, no worries. Hey, thanks for listening. We very much hope you've been entertained. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page at Entertainment UK. You'll find all our podcasts at buzzpodcast.co.uk.